0: Hi there and welcome to the Crazy Science Report. Today we're going to be taking a truly deep dive into the issue of mandatory vaccines. As you probably know by now, one by one, more and more industries, companies and institutions in the country are in fact adopting a policy of mandatory vaccination, whereby people risk losing their jobs or even their place as a student in a tertiary institution should they refuse to get vaccinated. The most recent example, of course, is the University of Cape Town where. The vast majority of the Senate just voted in favor of such a policy. So many people have reacted very strongly from both sides to this idea, but the bottom line is this, it's not a simple thing. It's underpinned by ethical issues, legal issues, and constitutional issues too. Who better to unpack the complexity than Professor Kamanthri Mudli, Director of the Center for Medical Ethics and Law at Stellenbosch University, She very kindly gave up a slice of her precious time to speak to me for the quasi Science Report. Prof. Mudli, thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited to be chatting to you. You were one of the very first people in the country who spoke out openly and candidly about the concept of mandatory vaccination. I think the topic was still quite taboo in South Africa, whereas other countries were already adopting it. So now that it has become a greater part of the mainstream national conversation, what do you think are some of the benefits? And also if you can reflect on possible pitfalls of implementing a mandatory vaccine policy for COVID-19 in South Africa?
1: I I think, uh, as you correctly point out, that the topic of mandatory vaccinations has been, you know, taboo in, in this country. And, um, and that's possibly one of the major pitfalls to start off with. The fact that people tend not to fully understand what we mean when we refer to mandatory vaccine policies. And so it's really important that, that, you know, that misunderstanding is corrected at, at a fa- fairly early stage in the in the debate. With respect to, to mandatory vaccination policies, firstly, they're not meant to be punitive. Uh, they're actually there to protect everybody. And there are very good reasons why they need to be implemented. Now, when we implement such vaccine mandates, they are not implemented in isolation. So In combination with such policies, we also need to continue education, counseling, community engagement, and every other possible attempt to encourage people to accept vaccines voluntarily. The reason for mandates and the major benefit that comes out of having a mandate is that it accelerates vaccine uptake. And this has been shown in other studies where vaccine uptake can be accelerated by up to 18 percentage points. Now, why is that important to us? So we know that we have um, rapidly evolving variants and they are becoming more and more vicious each time. We also know that our hospitals are full of unvaccinated patients. For those who have had vaccines, serious illness has been reduced hospitalization and death have been reduced, and we know that vaccines reduce transmission from one person to another. So initially, there was no data about that, but studies have been emerging to confirm that there is a reduced transmission from vaccinated people to others. So given all these benefits of having as many people vaccinated as possible, we have an obligation to ensure that vaccines are taken up as quickly as possible. We also have the, the the time limitation that is linked to the vaccines themselves. As you know, all vaccines have expiry dates. And although we have a wonderful supply of vaccines at the moment, it would be a tragedy if we wasted even one dose. And so encouraging people to vaccinate is, is good using incentives. We know that studies show that incentives increase vaccination by around uh, 3 to 5%. It's good, but just not enough to ensure widespread uptake uh, of vaccines. And I think the concern exists in South Africa in terms of the daily variation in the number of vaccines that are being administered. We have more than 3,000 vaccine sites set up. But there are many days when some of these sites are relatively empty or simply do not have enough people coming forward. And to accelerate the vaccine uptake, you know, one can try all other methods. But at the end of the day, having a mandate in place um, makes it, you know, makes it more important for people to actually uh, attend these vaccination sites especially when they know access to specific venues may be denied in the absence of a
0: vaccine. Okay, that's a brilliant segue for my next question. So the, the concept of a vaccine passport has also become part of the zeitgeist in South Africa. People are discussing it. Now, obviously, in a country like South Africa, where we've got such a, a brutal past that has been linked to you know, mandatory Health procedures that people did not request, as well as people having to carry a pass when they were from the so called Bantustans, you know people have got a, a sort of um, a wound let 's say in South Africa certain generations have got a wound about that, and yet this is a vaccine that, something like a vaccine passport is in the interests of public health it 's in everybody 's interest it 's not in the interests of a brutal regime like the apartheid government, for example. But how do we get people to understand that from an ethics point of view, what do you think are some of the ethical concerns that underpin the question of of a vaccine passport? As you correctly point out, Tanya, there's a misperception that the the
1: vaccine passport, and I don't think that the the term passport might be a good term to use here. It's more like a vaccine certificate and that people have the misperception that this is is being used to control them in some way. And the, the actual idea behind the passport is, as I said earlier, it's linked to mandates and it's linked to improving health. There's actually nothing new about having a vaccine certificate. So children have always had vaccine certificates. Uh, in fact, that was developed by the World Health Organization many, many decades ago and routinely have to, you know, present those certificates when they go to get any other non-COVID vaccine. Those certificates are also presented at schools. For people who travel, uh, having a certificate for a yellow fever vaccine is nothing new. There are many countries that I visited personally where I had to produce a vaccine certificate. In South Africa now, as it stands, we often have to pull out our ID card to gain access to specific venues. Even something as simple as visiting a friend in an apartment building requires one to take out one's ID card and have it scanned. So this is very much part of our daily lives. Um, and I think we need to see it that way. You know, uh, as the president uh, indicated, you know, that they, they are working on digital vaccine certificates for South Africa, and it will be subsequently on your phone like many of our other cell phone apps. And, that, and so you will need to present it at various venues especially, you know, indoor venues with lots of other people where others' health and lives are at risk. So I think showing that vaccine passport is simply an act of showing that we care about other people, uh, we care about ourselves and our health, and that we want to protect others in society. I think it's about having a mindset change about what the meaning of that vaccine certificate is. And that that is critical in terms
0: of messaging and in terms of counseling and education. Okay, brilliant. So I recently was on a webinar where Judge Edwin Cameron was speaking about vaccines and he took it further than mandatory vaccines in certain industries or workplaces. And he said that it should become part of the law because he sees the law as an instructive, educational, caring instrument that is created so that a norm is set up in a society. Then the South African Human Rights Commission, who one would possibly expect to be in favor of mandatory vaccines, they come along and they go, no, it actually has legal ramifications, which could be in contravention of the Constitution. So this is a very hot potato, not just in terms of ethics, but in terms of law. Yes. So can you just unpack that for us, please? So,
1: so the Constitution is also another instrument that is seriously misunderstood. People. You know, the South African constitution is one of the most liberal in the world. It, it gives us 27 individual rights. But many people are not aware that these rights can be limited. And there are very specific circumstances under which they can be limited. So even in, in the limitation clause, the constitution still protects us. So, you know, there, there are, one has to have very good reasons. And for, during the context of this pandemic, all those requirements are met in terms of it being, you know, a reasonable a limitation of rights, in terms of it being absolutely necessary to achieve a specific objective, and that all these uh, 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 strategies that we have to employ to bring the pandemic under control are in the public interest, and so. I think for us to understand the constitution from that perspective is important, but there's also another aspect to understanding rights and responsibilities. So we may claim many rights uh, on a regular basis in, 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 in South Africa, but with every right comes a responsibility. And as things currently stand with the pandemic, that responsibility is to ensure that the health of others is not impacted negatively, but more importantly, to respect the fact that everybody has a right to life, which is also enshrined in the constitution. And when we look at the various rights, there are some rights that carry more weight than others. And so constitutional lawyers know this much better than I do, but there's often a need to balance the various rights uh, there's the concept of which rights are non-derogable. And so in that particular uh, scenario, one needs to understand the law from that perspective. And of course, at the end of the day, it's, it's simply a matter of, you know, balancing harm to others against the limitation or the inconvenience that one may experience as an individual. So from the legal perspective, Uh, You know, there are many different aspects of the law that we need to understand. The right to a safe working environment is really important because in the Constitution, the statement is that everyone has a right to a safe working environment. That means employers, employees included. And so every employer has the responsibility to create that safe working environment for all employees, which is why the Department of Labor sent out um, a policy brief as early as June of this year to allow different industries and organizations and employers to decide whether they wanted to institute a mandatory vaccine policy in their workplaces. And all of this is based in law. There is the Occupational Health and Safety Act, there's the Constitution, there's the Disaster Management Act. And when we take all these pieces of legislation together, there are very strong uh, grounds legally to institute vaccine mandates. There is disagreement about whether they should be, you know, applied to everybody in society under every circumstance. My argument is that we need to ensure that all high-risk environments are uh, protected in, with vaccine mandates. And this includes hospitals, clinics, healthcare institutions, uh, medical schools. So all the environments where we know that there's a high risk of people contracting uh, the infection and of passing it on to vulnerable uh, populations. Within a hospital setting, our patients are vulnerable. And as healthcare workers, we all have a duty to protect our patients, but also to protect our colleagues and our families. So I think what happens is that in those settings, a vaccine mandate becomes an ethical imperative. And then, of course, there are the communal settings, especially indoor communal settings, where we are going to place others at risk if we are not vaccinated. So under those circumstances, I think there is
0: ethical justification, but there is also legal justice. Right. Very interesting, Prof. I have I think like many people, I've been quite stunned by the level of vaccine hesitancy, given the fact that, you know, newborn babies, infants have been taken regularly for vaccines in South Africa for several decades now. And, you know, when the COVID-19 vaccine rollout first began, a lot of the focus was on access and equity and were people jumping the queue. And here now we find ourselves with, you know, as you say, some vaccine sites sitting empty. So the, the, the increase in vaccine hesitancy or the, the prevalence of vaccine hesitancy, I think has taken many of us by surprise, given that you know, people take their babies to be inoculated all the time without really thinking about it. Why do you think that that shift has taken place where people are, have been willing for decades to vaccinate their babies, and all of a sudden, we see this proliferation of hesitancy?
1: Tanya, I think many things have changed in the world. And social media is both a blessing and a curse. So it's really excellent to, you know, spread important information and to educate and to counsel. But it has played an extremely negative role during the pandemic in in terms of spreading false information. And uh, that that is one of the reasons we have had, you know, so much vaccine hesitancy. Some of it is understandable. People are concerned about the rapid pace of development of vaccines. And there again, uh, you know, one, one can completely understand that. If you are not from a scientific world or scientific, you don't have a scientific background, it's not always easy to understand the drug development process, clinical trial process. It's much easier for scientists and, and healthcare professionals to understand that. But we need to do more to explain that process as well. There have been several attempts at explaining this. Um, you know, and I think it's because we, we're in, we live in an era of tech, of technology now where unlike vaccines that were developed decades ago through a much slower development process, technology has advanced in parallel over time with science and technology now makes it much easier to develop scientific interventions quicker. So we do have vaccines that were developed very quickly. The other aspect, but, but they've been, you know, based on technologies that have been in existence for a long time. Then there is a great deal of funding that goes into research and development for any uh, product, whether it's a, a medicine or, um, or a vaccine and what happened during the pandemic was there was a very rapid injection of, of money into uh, the development of these vaccines, deliberately so to speed up the development process, because the world needed a vaccine and we needed it urgently. And so, you know, I think ensuring that people understand those aspects helps to reduce anxiety and uh, reduce vaccine hesitancy. The, there's another aspect to the hesitancy and that's uh, a widespread paranoia that has also developed against many pharmaceutical companies and it is strange because all the drugs that people take on a daily basis have been developed by the very same pharmaceutical industries so i'm not saying that you know everything is ethical about the pharmaceutical industry there's certainly have been some, you know, very concerning stories that have emerged in terms of, of the role ph- the pharmaceutical industry has played throughout the world, uh, the, the excessively large profits that are made, um, and, you know, concerns in that respect. But I think, on the whole, many of the drugs that have been developed uh, help Many people around the world, you know, the drugs that we take for hypertension and diabetes and heart disease and even cancer, some of them are frightfully expensive. But at the end of the day, we have nothing else. And so we depend on those specific um, medicines and vaccines and other interventions. Likewise, with the COVID vaccine, um, none of the vaccines is perfect. None of the vaccines is 100% effective. There are mild side effects uh, associated with all of them. In some cases, there are a few more severe side effects, but these are affecting very few people. So if we look at the benefit that accrues to the majority of people in society, vaccines are safe and effective in that respect. And it's the best intervention that we have at the moment, together with other measures like masking, and distancing and sanitizing, et cetera.
0: Fantastic, okay, so just one more question, if we just may steal a few more minutes of your time. Obviously, when we look at a broader sort of global perspective and a more socio-political rather than just scientific perspective, we've seen protests popping up around the world as this conversation about ma- around ban- mandatory vaccines intensifies. So again, in our own context, we are not strangers to approach protest culture you know there are so many valid reasons to protest in south africa so obviously when the government makes a decision around something as contentious as this um it could create protest action here so what do you personally think is the best way forward for south africa to to balance a kind of a public understanding of why something should be mandatory to balance that with the culture of protesting we have here because of all the injustice and inequality what what would you say is the best way forward in terms of what we implement as a policy and how that is communicated to the public so they understand that that mandatory is the ethical decision and not the unethical one
1: yeah that's that's really challenging um tanya and i think firstly we have to understand that protests are part of any healthy democracy so when they happen you know we need to understand and accept them then it's, it's important that they are not violent it's important that protests are not going to block access to hospitals for example so protesting outside a hospital is unethical in and of itself especially because hospitals are uh, protected spaces that offer essential services to people in society and so, to hold a protest outside a hospital to intimidate healthcare workers and, and patients who need to access that hospital—that I would say, you know—is is an unethical action. So, by all means, if you wish to protest, you know, go ahead and protest, but do so peacefully and within the constraints of the law. Uh, we do understand that we will never get a hundred percent agreement with any policy that is in place. There are always going to be alternate views. There is going to be pushback. Um, we've seen protests around the country. Um, in France, you know, the protests have continued on a regular basis. But the government has persisted with their vaccine mandate and they have continued to implement the policies. Um, this varies from place to place. We also have to understand the negative impact that protests could have on the health profession. So our healthcare workers have worked tirelessly during this pandemic for the past 18 months. Many of them are exhausted and we are now experiencing a phenomenon called compassion fatigue, which is something that, you know, is antithetical to the role of a healthcare worker in society. So healthcare workers have served people over centuries, irrespective of whether they abuse alcohol, drugs, uh, whether they smoke, uh, whether they take care of their health or not. And so unconditionally, you know, healthcare workers have served humanity. Here we have the situation of a public health crisis where hospitals have been, you know, overburdened, uh, where doctors and nurses and other Healthcare workers in the system have been uh, exhausted to you know unprecedented levels where there is burnout. And I think to over and above this, show disrespect towards the profession, especially in the way in which some groups hold protests at hospitals, you know, erodes the compassion that the healthcare profession has for society even more. That's a really dangerous uh, situation to reach in society, because at the end of the day, even the people who are protesting are dependent on healthcare in the country. They also have for centuries trusted their healthcare providers in terms of various aspects of their health and wellbeing, and yet, when it comes to vaccines and specifically to COVID vaccines, there is suddenly a distrust. I think many people have forgotten that they themselves have been vaccinated for numerous diseases over time. They've forgotten that they have taken their children for regular vaccines when they are tiny little babies. From the day they are born, children are vaccinated. And I think people need to sit back and think about all of this, you know, in terms of how much paranoia they want to entertain around uh, the COVID vaccine. The figures are out there. The data has been published in newspapers, on the radio, on television. The, The Western Cape Department of Health has got several educational and counseling programs running. The government is making every effort to take vaccines closer and closer to people, to places of religious worship, into the rural areas into uh, old age homes they, they have they are trying to improve access so i think at a certain point you know there is a level of cooperation that is necessary so that we fight this pandemic together it's it's really not a good time for there be for there to be so much division in society over a vaccine that is intended to help everyone so i think if we think about it in terms of our responsibility to others um, our need to ensure that the virus does not continue to mutate because the more humans fight the more the viruses are mutating and becoming more and more difficult to treat more and more difficult you know to prevent infection and I think uh, that needs to be um, uh, you know, that needs to be a common goal for, for everyone to look at every possible way that we can fight this pandemic together That we can learn to trust each other when healthcare providers are telling people, you know, that vaccines will protect them and are safe. Why is it so difficult for them to accept that at this point in the pandemic?
0: Right, right. Prof, I feel incredibly grateful that we've had such a slice of your time today. Your insights have been very interesting to me and i'm sure to the listeners too so i just want to say thank you and i'm very interested to chat to you again in a few weeks time and see if we're having a different conversation and to see if policy has changed and what the reaction of the public has been so thank you once again for giving us a slice of your time we really appreciate it
1: thank you tanya you're very welcome